Well, let's uh, get into the Word together. But uh, as always, before we begin our study, um, even at a time like this when we're trying to absorb and process uh, this announcement, we can still affirm that God is good. All the time. He is. As we uh, continue to prepare for Christmas, we're going to be looking at another one of Isaiah's prophecies. You know, the prophecy we looked at last week, Isaiah 40, Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. That and, and the one we're looking at today, Isaiah 42, neither of those are your typical Christmas prophecies. But uh, as we were thinking through, praying through, how we wanted to prepare ourselves for Christmas, there were some things in these prophecies of our Lord that we really felt, uh, of all the prophecies, really had some things to tell us, to, to prepare us, to show us more clearly our, our God's heart in sending His Son. So this week we're going to be looking at, at Isaiah 42. If you've got a Bible, please turn there with me. If you don't have a Bible and can't afford one, we would love to give you one. Uh, just stop at the, at the visitor's desk and, and someone there would be glad to give you a Bible. Imagine everyone here has made it down to the mall by now this season. Fought your way through the crowds, stood in line, got to the shelf just after the last one of what you were looking for disappeared from the shelf. I don't know about you, but it's... This is hard for me. I, uh, I don't like it. I don't like the crowds and the commotion and the, all the displays and the lights and the noise and the traffic. I just get disoriented and, and confused. The other day I was walking up to one of the doors of the mall and there was a Salvation Army bell ringer ringing there. And I saw this little, uh, this little kid about, he probably was about three years old, holding on to his mom's hand. And when he saw all the people coming and going and all the noise and that bell ringer standing there, he turned and ran screaming. <laughs> that is exactly how I feel. You know, Christmas is often a time of commotion and busyness. That we are, are, are running around, trying to get things done, trying to get things ready. And that's not all bad. Quite honestly, some of that is good. Celebration requires preparation. And sometimes that preparation gets Hectic. It gets busy. But that in itself, even to some degree, builds the anticipation. But where it goes wrong is when in all of the busyness, in all of the commotion, we lose sight of the one whose birthday we're preparing to celebrate. He is uh, someone who stands in, in sharp contrast to all of the noise and commotion. Let's look at the first four verses of Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 can be divided into six movements or, or six sections. We're only going to look at the first three of those this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. God is, uh, through Isaiah, pointing at, at this little baby born in Bethlehem. And he's saying to us, verse 1, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. 
He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. So God starts by inviting us to to take a look, to, to see this servant of the Lord. See what he looks like. See what he does. This is the one whom he has chosen, the one in whom he delights. Two other times later in Jesus' life, uh, the Father says this to the people around Jesus as, uh, as they're watching something. That was at the baptism, at his baptism, and at the transfiguration. The Father spoke from heaven. He said, this is my Son in whom I delight. Now notice the uh, MO, the, the method of operation of this servant of the Lord, uh, of Jesus. It says, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. You know, what a contrast to the noise in the streets and in the marketplace, all of the, 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 the commotion as we prepare to celebrate his birthday. The, the, the noise in the streets and the market, the, the blaring music, the, the flashing neon lights, even the house decorations. Now, don't get me wrong, I like the lights on house. I got a few lights on my own house. And, and uh, last Sunday night for our family time, our family drove around to various neighborhoods just to see what was out there. There are some incredible ones out there. I don't know if you've had a chance to drive around this year. My uh, daughter took us up to one over uh, in this little, tucked in this little neighborhood over by Collister. And I have never seen anything like it. <laughs> there couldn't possibly have been one square foot on that whole house or, or on the yard or on the fence around the house that wasn't covered with lights. You almost needed sunglasses to look at this thing. And people would drive by, and all of a sudden you'd see their brake lights go on, and they'd just sit in the middle of the road going, look at that. It was incredible. You know, in some of the neighborhoods, the competition has gotten intense you know, for bigger, brighter, more. Uh, I, quite honestly, I love it. I, uh, I think it's neat, as long as somebody else is paying the electric bill. But again, what a contrast to the... To the, to the one whose birth we celebrate. He came in a little manger, in a little cave, actually without any lights. There was a fanfare, but it was several miles away in a field where shepherds were watching their sheep. There was one big light. It was a star way up in the heaven. But really, nobody around would have, would have noticed that much. The people in the inn continued with their dinner, continued with their conversation. It's very quiet unobtrusive, just a little baby laying in his mother's arms. You know, God obviously had not taken much marketing courses. He really didn't know how to stage an event. Where are the searchlights and the, and the TV cameras and bands playing? But again, that's our God's style. That's the way he does things, very quietly, inobtrusively, inexorably. He just keeps coming, gently Quietly, a little tiny, vulnerable, helpless baby. Unimpressive, weak, small. And that little baby grew up to do things just like his dad. Like father, like son. Jesus in his life on earth, he didn't shout in the streets. He didn't grab people by the lapels and scream in their faces that, that they needed to recognize who he was. They needed to worship him. That wasn't his... Uh, his style, that wasn't his, his method of operation then. That isn't the way he does things now. You know, then he, he would just travel around the country, loving people, meeting their need, explaining 
truth to them. But he never demanded that they uh, paid attention. They chose whether they paid any attention to what he had to say or not. They chose whether they even took the, the trouble to go out and hear him in the first place. And they could walk away at any time. And most of them did. Well, in the same way today, it's the way he operates. He gives us the choice whether we will stop and listen. Pay attention to what he has to say. When he speaks, it's very softly and gently. You can ignore it. You can write off what he, what he says in his word. It's just kind of uh, unrealistic ideals. Or you could write off what he's saying to your heart as just an overactive conscience. He'll let you do that. You can keep staring at the glitter and the lights, keep your ears filled with all of the blaring music, keep your, your mind filled with the lists of what you have to do, keep your uh, time filled with busyness and commotion. He will let you. But you'll miss out on the good stuff. You'll miss out on him, his tenderness. And love. Said he will not break a reed, a bruised reed. Now, now reeds, most of you know what they are. They're just uh, uh, plants that grow around rivers and, and lakes and, and marshlands. They're, they're very common in the Middle East. In fact, uh, in, in Egypt, they had the reeds that they would beat into papyrus, and first paper was made out of these things. But these were very common. And, and a reed was proverbial for something that was very weak. The wind could knock it down. You could crush it by just brushing against it too, uh, too roughly. In Scripture, God uses the, the picture of, of a reed to, 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 to speak of someone who is humbled before Him. Someone who's broken and recognizing their own neediness, their own vulnerability, their own weakness. See, a bruised reed it was one that's still alive, but it's creased. It can't stand up any longer on its own. It's kind of flopped over. And this tells us that Jesus is so gentle, so tender, that he can come and he can straighten that reed out. A while back, uh, the antenna on my telephone bent over. Somebody dropped it upside down and it bent. And as carefully and as slowly and as gently as I tried to straighten that thing, it still broke off. But Jesus is that good. He's that skillful. He can take that bent reed. He can take us when life has crushed us and left us exposed, our weakness, our neediness exposed. And he tenderly, gently straightens us up. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The picture here is of a lamp wick that's about to go out. It's smoking, it's glowing, but there's no flame. See, back then they didn't have a, you know, their Zippo that they could just relight the, the, uh, uh, the, the wick. What they would do is they would just gently breathe on it, try to get oxygen to it, try to, 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 to nurse it into glowing, and, and then to, to, to fan it tenderly into a flame. You see, that's, again, what our Lord does. He takes our lives extinguished by pain and loss, when we're feeling the hurt and the emptiness, especially around the holidays. And he just breathes his breath on us, breathes his life into us. Now sometimes that feels like a harsh whirlwind when we're hurting so badly or when we're feeling so weak 
The things that He says in His Word or the things that He says through the hard but loving words of brothers and sisters. The things that He allows into our lives. They feel like they're going to extinguish us. But again, that is just our Lord's tender breath. Causing His life in us to, to glow brighter and brighter so that it can, it can burst into a flame. This is His character. This is His nature. This is His method of operation. Gently, quiet, but life-producing. It's the way He works. So in the midst of all the commotion, all of the noise and busyness, uh, all uh, of the, the, the things that are happening in your life right now during the holiday seasons, all of the lists you got to check off, all that you have to get done. Let me call on each of us to take time every day to stop, quietly listen to His still, small voice. In fact, in, in the morning, before the commotion starts, start your day by just listening to Him. And then during the day, as the, the noise and, and commotion starts, you start noticing it, you start feeling the pressure rising, stop. Let that be a signal to you to stop. And again, listen to the one who loves you, the one who is so gentle and tender, the one, again, whose, whose birth we're preparing for. Now, there's one more thing in these uh, first four verses I want to, uh, you to notice before we hurry on to the rest. In these first four verses, there's one word that's repeated in three of the four verses. It's in verse 1, in verse 3, and in verse 4. That's the word justice, mishpah in the Hebrew. This is a very complex and rich word. It refers not only to legal justice, but it also refers to things being right socially, things being right relationally between people, things being right inside a person. It's a word that's very hard to capture in the English. My best shot at, at defining it, to make things as they should be, to put things right. See, this could be in a legal sense, to have things put right, but it's also in a sense between people and in our hearts, inside us. To, to have things, to make things as they should be, as they were created to be, as they were designed to be. You see, that's what the servant of the Lord came to do, to put things right. We have a deep ache for things to be right. We hate to see injustice. It galls us. It angers us. Every month, just about, I read Reader's Digest. My father-in-law gives me his, so I get him about two or three months after the month, but I still get them. And there's one feature in there that, that I only read about half the time. It's called That's Outrageous. I can only read it about half the time because I get too frustrated, too upset. What it does is it talks about, it gives instances of injustice in our, our government bureaucracy or in our legal system or in our social structures. And I honestly can't take it as much as they put in there. So I, like I said, I read about half the time. There is something in us that just gets so frustrated. It just can't stand it when things aren't as they should be. Well, if Jesus came to make things as they should be, how come they aren't as they should be? 
Well, there's two answers to that. First and most simply, they will be. He'll be coming back one of these days, and he will make things as they should be. In fact, the, the, the fourth section, the fourth movement in Isaiah 42, which we won't get to this morning, speaks of that second coming, where he will make things to be as they should be. But the other answer to the question, why things aren't yet as they should be, has to do with how Jesus is going about it right now. I, uh, I like the New English translation of verse 4. Let me read it to you, uh, starting with the end of verse 3. He will make justice shine on every race, never faltering, never breaking down. He will plant justice on the earth while the coasts and the islands wait for his teaching. See, the translators there use the picture of planting justice, like a seed that grows up and it grows bigger and bigger, like ivy spreading over, over the whole earth. And, and, and the coastlands, the, the islands, which for them were the farthest reaches of the earth, were waiting for that coming, waiting for our Lord's teaching, waiting for His instruction. It's gradually moving over the earth. See, the reason that everything is not yet as it should be is because Jesus does not yet demand it. Again, he, he, he offers his instruction, his teaching, his spirit, but he doesn't demand that anyone respond. He, he holds it out there patiently and persistently. He doesn't shout. He doesn't bully. He doesn't pressure he is gentle and quiet, but he is persistent. And that persistence is paying off. See, the peace of the world will be the peace of each person's heart. As each person is put right with God, they become a beacon of peace and justice, shining, causing it to be seen all around them. Individually, as we are put right with God, we impact our society for, for justice, for peace, for love. This process has been going on through the centuries to where we are today. And where we are today is that there are people in every nation of the world, every country of the world, who have been put right with God. You see... The, the, the teaching of Jesus is reaching the coastlands and the islands. It's getting out there. It is happening. But again, the way it works is one person at a time. As our relationship with, with God becomes what it should be, God continues that, that inexorable process. The word justice, again, means to make things as they should be. And the start of that, the heart of that, the, kind of the, the irreplaceable building block for the whole world is for each individual to be put right with God. If you want to change the world, get right with God. And again, in our lives, Jesus doesn't shout, He doesn't bully, doesn't do it by force. He is simply, gently persists. He, he lays his hand on your shoulder, gently, quietly. And you can try to ignore it, but it's still there. You can push it off, but it's still there. 
You can get angry at it. You can rage at it. You, you can try to, to convince yourself that it's not real. It's not there. But it's still there. You, you, you can, can try to, to avoid the reality of it by keeping yourself distracted by busyness or, or by conflicts with other people or, or, or by the oblivion of television or alcohol. But it's still there. Gently, quietly calling you, offering His instruction, His teaching, His life in you. Setting things right. See, don't fight Him. Let Him do it. Let Him restore your life. Make it as it should be. Let let Him set you right. Now let's move on to the the next section, verse 5 through 9. Let me read them, starting with verse 5. This is what the Lord says, He who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being... I announce them to you. Now let me set this up up briefly. God brackets, he puts at the beginning and at the end of this section, reminders to to build our confidence. Essentially, he's establishing his credibility in our mind. Right from the beginning, he wants us to realize who's talking to us. It's God, the Creator, the one who spread the heavens out as easily as we would throw a blanket onto the ground for, for a picnic. The one who conceived of and created human life. You know, no one else can create life. Only He. And right from the beginning, He wants us to be cognizant, thinking about, aware of who is talking to us. And then at the end, starting verses 8 and 9, again... He wants to, 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 to establish who's talking, establish that credibility. He says that his name is Lord. Literally, his name is Yahweh, the great I am. I am the one who has always been, who is now, and who will always be. I am the one who is everything you need. Whatever you truly need, I am. I am the one whose word has always come true. See, verse 9, what it's talking about there, saying that the former prophecies have all come true. So how could we possibly doubt what he's saying now? He's never failed. Last week when she was leading worship, Dee made reference to the fact that there were over 60 major Old Testament prophecies that have all come true in our Lord. And how improbable that is. Well, there's also another 270 or more Allusions to his birth, life, death, resurrection. Things like um, just to mention that his hands and feet would be pierced. Well, that prophecy was over 800 years before Rome even started using uh, crucifixion as a form of execution. How could the Bible possibly know that's how Jesus would die unless God was in it? And see, that's God's point. Everything that we can check out 
has happened exactly like he said. So we can have confidence in what he's saying now. It is unimpeachably credible. And what's he saying now? He's making promises to us. Now, initially, these verses apply to the servant of the Lord, but they also apply to us. In Acts chapter 13, verse 47, Paul and Barnabas apply these verses. They quote these verses, applying them to themselves and to other Christians. These are promises to us. Now, let me read those promises again. And I want you to listen to who's doing the work, who's making it happen, who is the responsible agent here. Listen. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you. I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That's my name. I will. In the midst of all the pressure of life, all that's demanded of us, all our hurrying and rushing to do and to get things done. Let this refresh your souls. Let this refresh your spirit. God says, I will. See, this is the heart of the new covenant. The old covenant was, thou shalt. Thou shalt remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not... uh, uh, do a whole bunch of things. <laughs> I kind of blinked on the rest. Thou shalt not covet. Thou shalt not bear false witness. Thou shalt. See, the, the, the old covenant was based on our performance. The new covenant that Jesus came to usher in, that was ushered in by our Lord Jesus, is based on Yahweh's I will. And what will he do? Here it says, uh, He has called us in righteousness. He takes hold of our hands. He keeps us. He makes us a covenant for the people, a light for the Gentiles. That is, He uses us to, to tell them what Jesus has done. He uses us to, 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 to show the light of a life that's put right with Him through us. Again, He does it. Once you uh, respond to the servant of the Lord and the one who created it all, the one who gave life in the first place, the one who knows the future says to you, the rest of this is a sure thing. Once you respond to Jesus and His gentle, quiet call, allow Him to put your life right with God, to put His life in you. The rest is a sure thing. Now, we often focus on our responsibility to hold on to Him. We focus on our need to, 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 to act like a light to people around us. And, uh, and our need to go out and, and share the gospel, to, be, uh, to, to give sight to the blind and freedom to the captives. And there is reality in the fact that we need to respond to His promises with faith, with belief. But we so quickly fall into the I musts, I should, thou shalt 
We think we have to muster up the strength to hold on to Him. We have to, to, to muster up the goodness to be a light. We have to muster up the courage to get out there and to, 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 to free captives and to open eyes. We act as if Christmas never happened. As if the new covenant was never ushered in. See, He says, I will. His name is Yahweh. I am. I am the one who will do it. I am the one who will change you. I am the one who will use you for my glory. I am the one who will set people free. Who, who, who will spread release, relief. I am the one who will spread justice through you. I am the one who will hold on to you. I'm the one you can count on. You can trust. He's going to do it. He wants us to understand that so that we can rejoice in that, so that we can rest in that, we can be excited about that, we can recognize that it's a done deal, that we've got nothing to lose, so we can throw ourselves into it wholeheartedly, gladly, rejoicing, praising Him for what He's doing and what He will do in our lives. See, this is the power of Christmas. That our God has done what He said He would do. He sent a Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we might have life in Him. And the continuing power of Christmas is that we continue to live in that salvation. In Christ we have all that we need for life. We, we have the, what, what, what Peter calls the, the, the great and precious promises. First, or 2 Peter 1. 3 and 4. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and true religion, enabling us to know the one who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his promises, great and beyond price, that through them you might escape the corruption with which lust has infected the world and come to share in the very being of God. See, in the midst of all the demands, of all the pressure, of all your list things to get done, let Him refresh your soul. Let Him carry the weight. While you trust Him, while you worship Him, He will use you. Rejoice in that. Celebrate that. In fact, that's where the next section takes us. When we see who the servant of the Lord is and what He's like, when we hear the, 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 the I wills of our God and take rest and comfort in that, the only appropriate response is to sing to Him, to shout His praises from the ends of the earth. You know, we are at the ends of the earth. If you take a globe, start at the Middle East where Isaiah was, and go over the top, if you're coming down the other side... The closest landmass is Western North America, where we are. We are the ends of the earth. Listen to, to, uh, to the next verses, starting verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song, His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the desert and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim His praise in the islands. 
Isaiah basically is including everybody here in his call to sing to the Lord. He says, let the people who live down by the ocean sing to the Lord. Let the people who live inland in the plains and in the deserts like Keter, let them sing to the Lord. Let the people who live in the mountains like Selah, let them sing to the Lord. Everybody sing to the Lord. Give Him glory. Lift up your voices in praise and worship. See, the, the appropriate response to the message and to the reality of Christmas is singing. So rather than the absurdity of me standing up here and talking about singing, I'm going to close our teaching time in prayer and ask Bill to come back up and just lead us in worship and in singing. Let's pray. Lord, we want to behold your servant, the one who is so tender, so gentle, yet who never stops, who keeps pursuing and keeps coming. Lord, we want to stop in the midst of this uh, Christmas time, this season, and stop and listen. Hear your words of comfort. Allow you to straighten us up. Allow you to to fan us into flame. Lord, sometimes we rebel in that process. We're too afraid of you. We're we're too uh, overwhelmed by our own weakness and sin. And we fall back on the fact that you will do it. That all we need do is genuinely trust you. That you don't pile it on to our shoulders. That you take the weight. You will do it. You will hold on to us. Lord, you have set us right. May we respond to that even now in the midst of our busyness. Use us as a light to the Gentiles. To show a life that's put right. That trusts you even in the busyness that uh, really believes what you told us here today. We do worship you in response to your word. Amen.